When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman alongside Olga Nulich with the first episode of 2024. Happy New Year to everyone listening to this podcast, watching the clips. We appreciate all the support as we move into our second full year together, Olgs. And uh, we do appreciate the support of everyone listening to this podcast. And we should do this a little bit more. But if you haven't done so yet, subscribe. Hit the notifications and you'll know every single time we drop a new episode moving into the new year because, Ogs, I think there is room for us two to take it to the next level this year. I think so, too. We, we are very, like, we're super fortunate we have like a platform to, like, to do this and to talk about the NBA and the NBA and Australian basketball and all this. And we want to just up the ante a little bit. And we can't do that without everyone's help. And so if everyone, my New Year's resolution... Now, everyone's news resolution should be to listen to more podcasts uh, and it should be at the top of your list. Um, I slept through New Year's Eve. I heard just constant banging of fireworks outside my window as I slept through it here in Australia. Kane, what did you go up to? Well, it was a little bit different over here for me. I was very, very low key. I've been a bit under the weather the last week or so, Og, so I made the mature decision to settle myself in on the couch. I had uh, the Phoenix Suns and Orlando Magic on one device. On the other device, I had Lakers and New Orleans Pelicans. And then on the TV, I had Sunday Night Football, the Packers and the Vikings. And then, as if I didn't watch enough sport on New Year's Eve over here, and it's New Year's Day here now, so you can tell I've got a little bit more energy than I probably normally would on New Year's Day, but I really <laughs> behaved myself last night. And then, for perfect timing, and shout out to the schedule makers, who I've had a crack at before when it comes to the NBL, but they scheduled up a delightful midnight Tasmania and New Zealand Breakers NBL uh, one-off game that was awesome in the end. And uh, so I, I spent the first two hours of 2024 taking in some highly entertaining NBL basketball. It was a perfect night. And I know that's where we're going to start to because... Yes. That was perhaps unexpectedly, and I don't know why it's unexpected. Maybe it's because it's two two teams that are just far away from where I am. One is Tasmania, one is New Zealand, and they have been somewhat volatile this season, both of them. So you don't know what you're going to get out of that matchup. But in hindsight, we probably should have realized that there was a good chance this was going to be a high-quality game, and that's exactly what it ended up being. This was... I've been to a few of the really good games this season. I was at both Melbourne-Perth games, which were really good. Uh, there was a, a Melbourne-New Zealand game really early in the season when New yeah. Zealand just came back from the US trip. That was really, really impressive too. As far as shot making and, and high-quality basketball and just both coaches doing their thing, this was one of the best games I've watched this season. It's one that I, I'm at some point today, I'm going to go back and watch again. It was awesome and... The two teams in the end kind of did it in different ways. The Breakers able to close out the Jack Jumpers down the stretch here. And for Tasmania, for a lot of the night, 
It was the outside shooting that was keeping them in this game. Shout out to Sean McDonald, who just went ahead and dropped seven for nine from long range. Compared to the Breakers, who were playing a little bit more bully ball. And we know that this can be a physical team. They were even last year, even though the personnel has changed. And for the first time in a long time for this New Zealand team, they're starting to get healthy and we're starting to see them win games. I think the reason why maybe you didn't look at this as a game like your Melbourne United, your Sydney Kings, your Perth Wildcats is because the Jack Jumpers and the Breakers over the last 24 months have played really slow basketball, slow-paced basketball. Mm -hmm. It can be grinded out games. So we've seen Tasmania and New Zealand play some games that might not be all that appealing. This was completely different, but I do think we've seen that throughout the year with this Tasmania team. Uh, one last other point. Can I just say, shout out to the commentary team, Joel Peterson, Damon Lowry, and Andrew Gaze. I, I, I think this is the first time that I've heard these trio on the call before, but I hope that it's not the last. If anyone from the NBL is listening now, I've, I like those three guys personally, so that's maybe a little bit to do with it, but I thought they were highly entertaining. I was laughing throughout this game. And I was also learning at the same time, educational as always from them three. So just a shout out to the commentary team. I thought that was an awesome grouping and uh, Nerole Meadows on the sideline uh, in Tassie, of course, as well. I agree. And then we spoke off air. I, I like the pairing of Damon and Andrew Gaze. Love it. Uh, I think they're, they're both super entertaining. I've worked alongside Damon on different things this season, on, on pregame, on NBL overtime. Uh, he comes in unbelievably prepared. Uh, he has... I, I sort of underestimated how much his takes are thought through. Um, and I guess he has all the time in the world when he goes on his, you know, 20-kilometer runs just to think about what he's going to say on the NBL broadcast. But I really appreciate what he brings to the table. Um, looking at this game, okay, I'm, I'm curious at what you think. We'll talk about Tassie in a bit because they've dropped four of their last five. They're, they're in a little bit of a rough patch right now. But looking at New Zealand, who've won four straight, they're clearly healthy, figuring some stuff out. Uh, what impressed you most about this game? What's the thing that's like the big indicator that's like, I, I'm pointing to that as this is a real team going forward because of this thing? Well, I think now that they're healthy, they do have a bit more of an identity offensively. And they started this game pretty slow, but we saw towards the back end of the first quarter, uh, and it was Anthony Lamb, who we know came to this team sort of midway through this season and is probably really played at an MVP level. Although, as we've discussed mm. previously, maybe the Breakers weren't winning enough games. Now they're starting to get themselves in the mix and they're, they're in uh, sixth on the standings as we record this. And it wasn't exactly a, an utterly dominant performance from the box score, but Lamb did finish with 18 points. He was only five for 13 from the field, but I just thought the physicality and his willingness to say, okay, well, I see a weakness right now with this Tassie team, and I'm just going to keep banging the door down, and something good is going to happen, whether it is other guys that can score off the attention I'm drawing, or I'm just going to get good looks. And I didn't think that he finished them all, but I think that this is the thing that's changed. Now you've got uh, everyone healthy out there. Will McDowell, why we didn't actually see a lot of, only 17 minutes. Uh, we know what Parker Jackson Cartwright has done all season, but I think now with Anthony Lamb as the focal point, and you start to get all the pieces around, um, there is an identity that is somewhat similar to what they were able to achieve last year offensively with someone like Jarrell Branley, who could play that physical dominant basketball at the four. Uh, but then you had guys on the perimeter that can score as well. So I just thought that they saw a weakness in the Tassie team that was shorthanded in the big man department or in the four or five positions. And they saw 
players on the floor. I'll get to it in a little bit that they knew that they could take advantage of and they and they went to it. So I like the fact that they attacked the weakness. Yeah, I think Modi clearly came in with a with that plan where there is some size down there and Anthony Lamb could absolutely take advantage of that. And then on the other end, they held uh, Jordan Crawford to two of 13 from the field. They had Milton Doyle to five of 16 from the field. Granted, that allowed a ton of other guys to get open. And you spoke about Sean McDonald, Jack McBay. Uh, hit a bunch of threes in this one too. And so other dudes stepped up and hit shots. But they it seemed like they came into this game saying, we're going to neutralize Milton Doyle and Jordan Crawford. And if other guys are going to beat us, we will allow it. Uh, and granted, they almost did. But credit to New Zealand just for basically having their game plan and, and leading the hell into it. For it to complete an entire game and granted this was sort of like a low this was like a low possession game but to finish an entire game with just two turnovers as a team is unbelievable and I straight put that down to the fact that you have Parker Jackson Carwright as your starting point guard who is maybe the best point guard in the league uh, just as far as controlling the pace of a game and just his overall skill set and talent and then when he goes off you have William Cal White come in, who, like you said, played 17 minutes last night. But on any other team in the league, he's playing 30-plus minutes. He's a starting point guard on any other team in the NBL. Uh, to have Jackson Cartwright and McDowell White as your two point guards, you just have elite creation for 40 straight minutes. And then they showed at the end of the game that they're, they're trying to figure it out. They're playing it together. And it, it works. They can both play off the ball and... I think that's like the next evolution, playing those guys together. Tyler Cheatham, maybe at his worst game of the season, they'll still able to come away with a win. Um, I think there's there's still so much growth for this team uh, and the fact that they're able to get it done against a good Tasmania team, granted one that's not in the best form right now. That's just such a good indicator that they're figuring some stuff out with still so much room to go. If Parker Jackson Cartwright is a point guard, and I guess... Yeah, by size, and he has the ball in his hands a lot, then Bryce Cotton's a point guard, so you would be wrong. But uh, Bryce Cotton's not a point guard. Okay, well, what does Bryce Cotton do differently to Parker Jackson Carwright in terms of setting the tempo and being the lead scoring guard? They, they play the same role. Parker Jackson Carwright is unbelievably ball dominant, whereas Bryce obviously is elite with the ball in his hands, but nowhere near at the same level. I, I would I would prefer as in Bryce is the most effective when there is a point guard on the floor with him, whereas Parker Jackson Cartwright is the point guard, the ball carrier. Obviously, I'm not taking away from Bryce Cotton. I still think he's the best player in the league, but and again, we're just you're just you're don't do this game. Not today. <laughs> it's a new year. You're coming here with this this attitude. I'm just you know Bryce Cotton. You know Bryce Cotton's a combo, but like largely a two, and he needs a point guard next to him. Come on, come on, Kay. I've got an inquisitive mind and I just saw a question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, one other thing I'll point out, and you mentioned the defensive stuff. So uh, this is a pretty small New Zealand team. So uh, I do still think that if we're talking about teams that, that again, and we're looking at every team right now, can they compete with Melbourne United? I think that for Tassie, in terms of teams that they thought that they could probably dominate with the big men, losing Will Magne in this game was just monstrous because early in the first quarter, when Anthony Lamb did come off, uh, apparently getting absolutely 
double-barreled uh, from Modi Mayor, according to Narrowly Meadows, one of the great sprays of all time uh, during the timeout. Then he came out and he was physically dominant. The reason why I said they were picking on guys that they thought they had the mismatch against, that was when Fabian Krizlovic and Jared Bairstow were on the floor together. Uh, didn't have any possessions those two guys had played together on the floor this season prior to last night's first quarter. Is it one? Is it is it like one or two? Yeah, it was zero. So and, and I no. looked and I looked it up as soon as I saw those two on the floor because I'm like, okay, this is there's red lights going off everywhere here. This is a, this is a seriously problematic lineup for the Jack Jumpers. Scott Roth probably thought that he just needed to go to it because I do think when you take out Majuk Deng as well from that rotation, then you are a, a little bit thin. So I think that uh, that stretch in the game after the Jack Jumpers started pretty well did change the game and gave the the Breakers some real belief in this. So I thought that was pivotal. Um, but I do think that overall, this is a Breakers team that's still going to tr- uh, struggle physically against teams that have got quality bigs. So I'm still looking at Sydney with the big men they have, and I'm absolutely looking at Melbourne. I, I don't know whether this is a team that can survive against JLA uh, and also Ariel Hook-Porty when they're out there. Even Cole Bowen's come out and been a, a valuable player. So that's still my hold-up. It's been my hold-up since the start of the season. They look like a team that now can compete, really, from second down to, to anyone. Um, but I still have concerns over the size of this team. I just don't think that they have the quality uh, at the five physically yeah. against against a team like Melbourne, and that's a pretty high bar. And great, look, Mango Matching had sixteen and seven in less than twenty minutes. Yeah. This was this was a, a decent game from him, and he hit he hit the game winner as well. He hit the go ahead bucket and won. Um, I agree that I don't. I'm. I don't feel like what they have at the five spot, or at least up front in general, is just is sustainable against really good big teams. And that is a team like Melbourne. Um, I, I, I'm, I wonder if I'd even put a team like Sydney up there who can throw Geordie Hunter and Jonah Bolden at you, who can sort of be beasts inside the paint. Um, I think the hope for this team is that Matt Yang continues to figure it out. And we've seen some glimpses of him doing that. He has the size and the athleticism to, to figure it out. Uh, and then that Zylan Cheatham would play some minutes at the five and use his athleticism to basically play bigger. Yeah, we didn't see him at the five that much yesterday. We saw him more at the five the, the game before that against Brisbane, and we know how effective that is, but I, I feel like they're going to need a ton of minutes out of him at that five spot because I just don't know how much you can rely on Mango Matching and Dane Pino at that spot to really get it done against like those high-quality teams. And then the other thing is I think they, they want to trust their size across the board. Uh, so obviously no Finn Delaney in this one. He's still out with a calf injury, mm-hmm. but there is some size there. Um Mantas Rupstavichus. He was awesome defensively, by the way. Awesome. Great, great defensively. I think we forget he's 6'8", uh, and he's been a pro in a le- in good leagues in Europe before. And so he's primed to be doing this. He's scored 15-plus points in four straight games. He's figuring it out. They're starting him, and he's looking like a legitimate pro right now. He's If I want, if there's a next guy I want on my team, it's Rupstavichus. And I, I don't think, I honestly don't think it's close. Um, he just seems so poised out there. And so defensively, he's helpful too. And then Abercrombie off the bench, there's positional size to maybe make up for it. Uh, but it was a question going into the season. And I think it still remains just the general size up front. That that five spot is still something that may end up being the Achilles heel of the New, New Zealand Breakers team that I think is one of the best in the league right now. So Krizlovic in his 13 minutes, 
Uh, the Jack Jumpers were minus 14. Now, it's not just him, but they need Will Magnet back. If they're going to be a team that, as I've thought all season, can contend, they need him because they can't trust Marcus Lee. Marcus Lee was six for eight in the restricted area in this game. He was able to get what he wanted and he was too big, too long, too tall, and he was able to score. They just needed him to stay on the floor because the 24 minutes that he played, that is at the very high end of what he's capable of because he fouled out again. And you can't trust him to play more than 25 minutes. So they need Will Magnet desperately. Uh, just some thoughts on the Jack Jumpers. So if you're a Jack Jumpers fan right now, you've got to be incredibly frustrated with the loss to the Perth Wildcats because that felt self-inflicted. The Sydney Kings loss is fine. The interesting thing is that they actually, the one game that they've won in their last five was against the Illawarra Hawks and nobody can beat the Hawks right now and they looked really good. <laughs> Christmas Day was a disaster against the Phoenix uh, because we saw the Phoenix a few days later again do it. They do all the time. They, they lost to the Bullets. They looked terrible. There was there was all sorts of stuff going on there. We can get to them. So the Jack Jumpers will be frustrated in this game as well because they were five for 16 in the restricted area. And they missed so many bunnies in this game. It was If you were a Jack Jumpers fan, you would be tearing your hair out because they continually got to perfect spots and just could not finish. And I guess you give some credit to the New Zealand defense, but... Even Jack McVeigh in the last three minutes, he had the putback dunk. Dunk. I don't know how he missed that. He had a tip in with one hand that was uncontested, basically. He missed that. He would make that every single time, and then he missed another layup in the last minute as well. So that's just Jack McVeigh. He was uh, struggling in restricted area, but Krizilvich was 0 for 3. Doyle was 1 for 5. Crawford was 1 for 5. Uh, and on two-point attempts for the game, they were 12 for 38 uh, for players not named Marcus Lee. They're 31%. On the season, they're up at 58. So this was, yeah, maybe it was some of the defensive stuff from the breakers, but this was a complete anomaly again from the jack jumpers. And they've just had some really strange circumstances over the last few weeks that they should have banked. They should have beaten the Phoenix straight up. They shouldn't have lost that game on Christmas, but they should have beaten the Wildcats. And I think they should have beaten this breakers team. So they've cost themselves three wins. And that could be the difference from in the last couple of games in the season, you're battling for the play in instead of thinking that you're going to have the playing tournament off completely in the second spot in the, on the ladder. Well, especially because of the teams that are now entering the play-in, where the New Zealand Breakers are now in the six. The Illawarra Hawks, if they're not in the six, they're flirting with it right now. And these are teams that are, these are teams that are doing really good basketball right now, better basketball than you are. And so if you're going into a play-in game, you don't want to have this matchup as your play-in game because I think there's a better chance than not that you will lose this matchup. If it's Tasmania against New Zealand and New Zealand is coming in rolling and trending upward and you're going in not rolling and trending trending down, that's not that's not a situation I want to be in if I'm any of those teams in that three or four spot on the ladder. Um Milton Doyle hasn't looked like himself since he came back from America. Obviously he went back on, on personal circumstances and now he's with the team again, I I just don't think he's been himself. Jordan Crawford has had to carry a lot of the load and I think as talented as he is, it's it's they you, they teams can devote a ton of attention to him. And if Milton Doyle isn't hitting, and if he's not himself as far as the sort of 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 controller game, then I think that takes away from this team because we spoke about it earlier in the season. Their the scoring talent they have is very there's there's just not much of it. It's very confined within just a few guys. And so if just one of those guys isn't hitting then everything can collapse offensively for this team. And we know how good an offensive team they've been, but and they've done it by committee, but they you still need those two or three stars to be clicking. Um, and 
that hasn't been happening the past few games. And like there are there are some concerns right now for ta- for Tasmania. I don't. It's it's almost like they've thrown away their their opportunity to be in the top two. Yeah, as per usual, I'm not as concerned. I also don't. I mean, they scored uh, pretty pretty handily in this game. They put up 93 points where their two best perimeter scorers, the two guys that are in all NBL contention, had absolute stinkers. Like the the team's offense is okay, and I do. I, I think you you underplay the the depth of of scorers they have. I think they got a bunch of guys around their stars. Like most teams in the NBL, if your two best scorers have absolute stinkers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to look like you, you your offense is maybe not not functioning. So I, I think they're a little better than that, but they don't have much room to to waste now or, or room to mess around. And I don't know what you're going to be doing. Well, I know what you'll be doing. You'll be working. You're a uh, professional, uh, Olgan. But Saturday, <laughs> Saturday evening at 5.30 p.m., it sets up a really, really tasty matchup between the Tassie Jack Jumpers and the Cairns Taipans, who had a mixed weekend, but ultimately finished it on a high note. We haven't spoken about the Cairns Taipans all year. I was texting you over the weekend and said, we better get to the Snakes and just discuss them a little bit because I, I think the interesting thing is when you look at this team, and yes, they've scuffled a little bit over the last little stretch, uh, but they actually have played more games than any team in the league. They've only got eight games left in the season and they're nine and 11. So while we say yet the Jack jumpers, you want to get back on track and you want to take care of business at home. uh, This is, I'm this must win for the Taipans coming off a win against Melbourne. Now you've got to go on the road. You better win this game because you've only got eight left. And, and these teams that are bunched up, they've got a bunch of games in hands. New Zealand's only played 17 games. Illawarra 16. Uh, So you, you, you got to now look at just about every single game as a must win. How have they played 20 games? Not sure. They went to America. Don't know. They, they, they literally left the season when it began to go to America for 10 days, and they've somehow played all these games. Um, that's wild. The 11 losses, it's the same amount as Brisbane. It's, it's two less than Adelaide. So basically, when I'm looking at the latter, I'm largely just looking at losses because of all the, the games played between different teams. Um, Kansas... It, it seems like this is the MO for Cairns where they were probably always going to struggle uh, to start off, uh, but they were always going to try and figure it out as they go just because of the nature of their team. They're a, they're a really, they're very young. And so Karen Armstrong at this point, Sam Meninga took a little bit of time to come through, uh, but he's playing a good basketball right now. Sam Wardenberg has been up and down. Um, but they've got consistent output from Pat Miller. I think they've got consistent output from from Tajima McCall and and Will Kowal is doing his thing as well. They're a team that I don't think any anyone else wants to play. They they they've shortened their rotation. They they played eight guys against Melbourne, um, and honestly, as I think it's that's largely just they match up well against Melbourne. I think um, I think stylistically they just they they just work against United for some reason, um, but. Those two wins against Melbourne, they, that'll perk these guys up. That gives them that little bit of confidence where I don't think you want to play them because they're playing for something. They're feeling good about themselves. And all, and a lot of those young guys have figured it out. So this Cairns team, you probably would have wanted to play them early in the season when the young guys were still in their teething process as opposed to now where things are clicking a little bit better. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think one of the problems for the tight ends is they don't have enough shooting. And so offensively, they can go through stretches in games where it just becomes really, really difficult. And you look at some of the key guys in their lineups. Pat Miller is at 30% from three in the season. McCall, we know from watching him the last few years, can be on the roller coaster a little bit. He's at 33%. Wardenberg is down at 25%. He's really struggled this season. So a lot of their, their guys that are around the floor, and then Taron Armstrong, who we love, but he's at 26%. So a lot of the guys that are going to have the ball in their hands and are expected to run the offense are typically in lineups with other guys that don't shoot the ball well. So I think that it shrinks the mm. floor. Uh, what they are able to do, though, is I think is is to get downhill as well as any team in the league. And me and you didn't exactly agree on this one when we were texting each other after the Sydney game. First of all, the Sydney Kings, they just had to win. So it's fine. They got back on track. I like it. But I didn't think the win was all that impressive. I thought the Taipans threw that game away against the Kings. And I know that that's a, a, an interesting thing to say because they lost by 20 points. But the last minute of the first half was absolutely disastrous. It went from a one-point game to double digits. And I still can't figure out what the Taipans were doing in anything that happened in the last minute of that first half. And then uh, they were able to get to spots on the floor where they should have been able to score. Uh, They were nine for 30 from three. They got open looks all the time. Again, the three-point shooting hurts them. They're also 19 of 29 from the free throw line. And I thought that they had the Sydney Kings defense on the back foot for a lot of the night. The Kings were out of position. They looked like they were miscommunicating. They looked like they were confused on some of those defensive possessions. And the Taipans just weren't able to capitalize on that. So... I was happy to see them bounce back against Melbourne on the weekend and not be deflated from that because I do think that the loss to the Sydney Kings, it blew out late. And of course, they had that run at the end of the the second quarter there that I mentioned. But for three and a half quarters, they looked like they were a team that could have beaten that Sydney Kings team. And I don't think the result really reflected what I watched. It's, It's weird that we came away with such different feels on the game because when I watched it, I'm... It was maybe the one game where I didn't think the Sydney Kings would blow the lead. They jumped out to that lead at the half, and it, it was li- probably the only time this season. Where, so that's what the Sydney Kings have done all season. They've jumped out to big leads, and then they've just coasted, and, and they've they let other teams get back into games, and they lost those games. This was one of the first times where I didn't feel like that would happen. Um, maybe it was because they were getting consistent output on the offensive end, and so... They were consistently ticking the, the scoreboard over. Um, but I thought, honestly, defensively, as as much as that, I don't think they're close to being as tight as they should be, which is annoying because I think they have the personnel to do it. Um, I I still think they were largely fine defensively. I thought what they threw at Cairns was interesting. They threw a zone at them. Forty um, said after the Melbourne game that he, his team just hates being zoned. They they don't have if, if they do have a zone offense the guys don't know how to don't know how to execute it uh, because against the zone they just couldn't get decent looks and then Sydney Sydney then threw some drops at them they threw some different lineups at them and started switching everything so Sydney's mixed it up and maybe that rattled Cairns to an extent and maybe that's why shots didn't fall or maybe they didn't get the the quality of shots they wanted down the stretch but 
I thought the Kings were largely fine. I thought this was an improvement on what we had seen from them, uh, especially in that Christmas Day game against Illawarra. Um, yeah, I, I came away higher on Sydney than I previously had been, but it seems that you just think that luck was the, the difference maker in that one. Well, I thought... I say shoot, I, luck as in shooting luck. Like, yeah, no. I, I mean, it's it's not really luck when it's when it's the trend. So technically, if you're the Sydney Kings, you should be asking the Cairns Taipans to knock down those three. So I think that mm-hmm. it was the plan, actually. So I don't think it's shooting luck when it's based on what we've seen all season long. And they still shot a nine for 30. So they're, they're around 30%. They're not that much higher than that on the season. So that's fine. I thought that the scout probably dictated to that. I thought they just looked like, and I do think it got better in the second half, but in the first half for the Sydney Kings, certainly watching on a broadcast, I know you were in arena. Uh, a lot of, there was a lot of miscommunication and guys just looking at each other and thinking, wait, am I supposed to be there? Are you supposed to be there? And maybe this is part of the process of some of the changes that you're talking about. And if I'm the Kings, I don't really care too much. Like I'm not worried about it if you're the Kings because you won the game by 20 points and you look like a team that that stepped up the intensity and the energy. And I don't think we should be surprised that Sean Bruce was starting and Angus Glover came into the rotation and Glover's getting into little brouhaha's at uh, miniature <laughs> brouhaha's at the end of the first quarter because that's what this Kings team needed, I think. I think they needed a spark. So yeah. I love seeing those two guys play. You had Denzel Valentine come off the bench. I think he went up starting again, the, the longer the season goes, but he came off the bench and he was clearly highly motivated to prove a point. So from that point of view, this is a massive tick for the Sydney Kings. I just think if you're the Cairns type fans, you would be frustrated because I thought the door was open for a long, long period in this game and they didn't walk through it. And the other thing that hurt the Taipans, because I don't know whether they're going to make the play in tournament because now, as we mentioned, they've played those 20 games. But I think they're a highly entertaining team to watch. And I like what Adam Ford continues to do with the young local big men. We saw him do it last year, not just the big men, but the local talent, because he's actually created a, a pretty nice young duo with Wardenberg and Menenga as a tandem. Mm-hmm. And the numbers look really good with those two on the floor. And and Wardenberg was in foul trouble against the Kings. And I think that is a massive loss for this Taipans team because even if you look at the numbers and you say, well, Wardenberg's only getting you 10 points and six rebounds, but I think he's actually really important to what they do defensively because Last year, this rang true as well. When Keanu Pinder wasn't out on the floor, the defensive numbers actually got better and the team continued to win because I think he's a really smart defender. And with Wardenberg and Menenga on the floor so far together this season, the D rating is 106, offensive rating is 117. So they're plus 11 with those two as a tandem in 388 possessions. So uh, I I don't know whether it's going to win you an NBL title going down this this path of recruiting that the tight bands are doing. But I think that Ford is doing something great for the local players in this league. And I think he's creating an environment that is going to make a lot of local players better. And uh, and I, I'm sure he doesn't want to hear that, but I think it's really cool to see what's happened over the last two seasons. Yeah. So, okay, I have so much to say. I'll go in reverse. Uh, they're not going to win a title this year. Uh, but I don't think that's how the Taipans are no. built generally. That's, that's not what their roster construction is like. Their, their goal is to win one next year where you will have already had an entire season of both of the Kiwi Sams playing amongst each other. Sam Menenga is clearly trending upwards. The, yes. the shot looks there. He's, yes. he's finding his spots in the NBL. Um, and we knew he had a jumper when he came in. It's maybe, it's, it's maybe interesting 
it's maybe surprising because he's just such a specimen physically that you massive you just don't expect he's huge you don't expect him to to stretch out and hit that with consistently consistency but he did that in college and it's, it should be no surprise um so this team is built to win next year right and that's also expecting Taron armstrong to take a leap uh it's, it's basically hoping all these players take one more step in their development you bring in quality imports again and all of a sudden your local cohort is way better than it is this year because it's just the same guys who have a ton of potential a year into the development um i i agree that the Taipans probably should have created a little bit more separation in the first half against Sydney, um, especially the first quarter, where I agree the Sydney Kings defense was was really lacking in the first quarter especially. Um, again, just the Taipans sort of forced it down their throat and, and Sydney just really couldn't do anything about it. The, the urgency wasn't there. I thought the urgency picked up as the game went on. Um, I, I do want to see way more effort from J- Jalen Adams on both ends. I think... I thought we saw better intent from guys like Valent- D- uh, Denzel Valentine and DJ Hope. I think Jalen Adams continues to just coast. Um, and I I get that's his nature. That's what his character's like. Uh, but I think this team would be way better off if he was able to grab games a little bit more on both ends, uh, especially defensively, where I think him is, is a point of attack guy. Again, he's, he's shown it in the past in his career that he can do that. Um, so it would be good if he sort of if he lent into that part of his game a little bit more. Uh, the combination of Meninga and Warnenberg, I agree. I I like it, and I, I don't think it's close to its ceiling either, just because of the Shouldn't way be. that Warnenberg's been... Is it, with the way Warnenberg's been shooting the ball, uh, in that he hasn't been shooting it well, we know he can shoot it. And so the fact that both of these guys can play inside out, uh, I think Warnenberg's athleticism is really underrated as well. And so these guys can... It was the most interesting thing about the Blitz... These guys just coming off on uh, coming off on balls, like with each other. You'd have like Meninga, you know, tri- dribble handoff for Warnerberg coming off that. And it's just super difficult to guard. It's like it's like when you've got Kevin Love out there and he's just gonna spot. He's just gonna pull up for a three, and it's like how are you coming off this like hand this fake handoff and then put and and pulling up for a three. It's very very cool. Um, and I think that's all I've got. Uh, yeah, that's all I got from all those things that you just said. So I thought it was cool to talk about the, the tight ends a little bit because they did play uh, the Kings and Melbourne United in one weekend. And I thought, honestly, uh, again, maybe some frustration, but they would walk away saying, okay, we've got something to work with here. We've got eight games. We don't have much room to move. Uh, let's see what we can get from the back end of the season. And as we said, it starts with that game against the Tassie Jack Jumpers. Uh, I asked what you're going to be doing Saturday evening at 5.30 p.m., but Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m., I know what you'll be doing. You'll be watching the Kings and Melbourne United. Uh, this is going to be an awesome game because we'll learn a bit about mm-hmm. the Kings. And I think Melbourne United coming off the loss, uh, they'll be stinging a little bit there. They, they were off uh, in, in a number of facets in that game for sure on New Year's Eve. Maybe they were looking forward to... Uh, a night on the town in Cairns, who knows? But uh, they've got the the Kings here. I don't think for Melbourne United at this point in time, there's much to discuss. I think they'll be just fine. Uh, what about their crosstown, crosstown uh, friends, though, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix? This is what we spoke about last week, Olgs. If you're going to come out and you're going to win on Christmas Day and you're going to do it without Mitch Creek and you're going to do all this talking, then beat the Bullets a week later. <laughs> I know. Um, granted, the Bullets had their backs against the wall as well. 
And so they came, They were coming in with some fire. Uh, they, they, the Bulls have lost four straight going into that one. Which, again, if you're the Saudis, Melbourne Phoenix, this team has lost four straight. They're clearly not trending in a good direction right now. They are, they're pretty, they're beaten up too. Shannon Scott didn't play a lot of that game. Chris Smith didn't play the second half of that game. This was your, yours to go and get. And again, they just, defensively, they just couldn't get it done. And again, it's the trend of the Saudis Melbourne Phoenix over the past few years where just defensively, I don't know how sustained, how, how trustworthy they are. Um, I don't know how much to read into it for either team. For Southeast, I think it's, it feels mental and it sounds weird to say that because like we're not in that locker room right now. Uh, but it, it, this feels like these are the sort of mental hurdles that they need to go over where winning the, winning the games that you're not supposed to win, they're really cool. They're really nice little pockets of time. Uh, but in order to be a really great team, you need to win the games you're supposed to win. And that's something that Melbourne does when they have a bunch of home games to start the season and they pick up those wins. Cause it, and, and so when you go to Cairns and you have a really awkward game against the Taipans and you lose it, it doesn't really mean too much because you've pocketed so many wins. Southeast Melbourne Phoenix don't have that flexibility. They can't be doing that. And so especially going into Brisbane, a team that is beaten up, you should go and win that. To let Nathan Sobey get all those good looks and then start feeling himself and then end up dropping 35 on you, like you can't let that happen. And then Gary Brown can't have a brain snap and get himself ejected from the game. Um I'm concerned about this team because Alan Williams was beaten up after that one. He had a knee knock uh, in that one. And Mike Kelly spoke after about how he's been dealing with just like a, an ongoing knee thing. Mitch Creek didn't look 100% either. Abdul Nader is not going to be 100%. I don't think at any point this season, I don't think they can trust him to be their number one guy. And so their number one or two guys are compromised because of injuries or they're just hurt in some way. Gary Brown is up and down. And Abdul Nader hadn't played basketball in two years, and he's been up and down too. So the top four guys we're trusting on that team are just not trustworthy, unfortunately. And so I don't... They're, they're going to pick up some wins here and there because there is talent there. But I just have zero trust that this team can do anything consistently. If there's one thing I'm certain I've seen down the stretch of this NBL regular season, it's the Phoenix having a really impressive win and then having a just a... <laughs> disgusting loss it's going to happen we know it's going to happen and the other thing i pointed to the free throw shooting of the Cairns Taipans before but the phoenix left 13 free throws at the line in this game they were three for 20 from three as well so a part of that is probably the leg stuff uh, that you're talking about there they don't look like they're necessarily healthy but it's always been the story with this team so there's only so long you can just say well we've got injuries we're not healthy it it, it in the end, it, it doesn't really matter anymore when you hear it week in, week out. We've actually got Simon Mitchell on the jump this week. And I'm fascinated to, <laughs> to hear his thoughts on the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix because you're talking about a man that's lived it and lived the frustration the last few years. I'm curious what he's seen from this team. So make sure you check out the jump Thursday night leading into Sydney and Melbourne United as well. So pretty nice little time slot leading into some good NBL action. We'll hear from Simon. Haven't heard too much from him over the last few weeks, but he typically doesn't hold back. So I think it's going to be a nice little addition because we <laughs> lost Trev. Oh, Trev's gone. He ditched us for the NBA. Uh, I think it's probably fair enough. <laughs> Don't say we lost Trev. Trev's gone. You got. You had to. You had to do that follow up real quick. Well, he's taking um, an NBA job. This is true. Uh, Trevor, yeah, it's. Did this shock you? You're. You're. You work closer with Trev than I do. 
um, and then I have over the past year. Um, I expected him to live out the remainder of this season as one of us, as a, as like a, as a media personality, and and then gauge his options. And I do have a theory on what the grand plan is. But you go, you tell me, do you, is this surprising to you that he took this job with the Bucks? No, because I, I do know uh, from talking to Trevor a lot that there was a reason why he wasn't taking other jobs because he could have taken other jobs because he wanted to get back in the mm. NBA. And certainly Trevor understands that if you're out of the NBA for a period of time, particularly when you've been an assistant like he was, people will just move on and they'll go to someone else and they'll bring someone else in the system. So it's all about keeping the connections you have, making sure that people in the NBA understand that you're still plugged in. And the one thing I'll, I know uh, that Trev, and I sort of had wind of this for a, a few weeks, and I know that he's watching every single Bucks game. He's clipping up stuff. <laughs> he's watching the opposition analysis. So what, uh, the last few months, while he's been doing the media stuff and on fire, he's been working uh, around the clock, keeping his uh, eyes all over the NBA. So uh, I wasn't surprised, but probably because I knew a little bit of what was going yeah. on but this was definitely the plan for him because he knew he had this contract with the toronto raptors through this nba season and if he didn't get back to the league maybe this year he probably would have just taken a head coaching role somewhere maybe in the nbl so it's t certainly a loss potentially for uh some nbl yeah. fans yeah uh i know the adelaide 36ers were really intent on putting mm -hmm. yes. uh I bet considerable offer in front of Trevor Gleason. They were basically going to throw it all at him. Uh, so this is disappointing for them. Uh, obviously, we know when the Illawarra Hawks got rid of Jacob Jacobus, Trev was one of the first calls that yeah. I think that call was like largely exploratory. Uh, but any team that has a head coaching vacancy somehow got in touch with Trevor Gleason because if you want to be a good NBL team, you hire a head coach who has demonstrated that he can win games in the NBL. Uh, so that's obvious. This one intrigues me because it obviously goes through the through this season. And so you're, we're assuming the Milwaukee Bucks are playing through May and potentially June. Uh, and that would rule him out for an NBL job, assuming he'd want to return to the, or not be in the NBA anymore the next season, uh, just because free agencies in April, uh, you want ample time with a head coach when you're recruiting players and things like that wouldn't rule him out let's say let's say this is his final year with the Bucs let's say they win a championship and how good what a great time that would be for Trevor Gleason and then he wants to be in the NBL the following season uh in my mind the first thing I thought of was uh, John Riley's contract is up in Perth uh we don't know the outcome of what that Wildcats team will be this season or next season might win a title uh, how people they, they could and so that it might this might be a redundant thought uh, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be, how people will feel about certain about, about John Reilly and whomever, but it wouldn't surprise me if, let's say, there is a vacancy there, that a contract ends, and you potentially look at your options, and Trevor Gleason, someone a, a hero in Perth, someone who's won many championships there, who would presumably want to remain living there, maybe maybe that's a job for him, and maybe the timing just works out a little bit more swimmingly. Uh, for Trevor Gleason from, from this point on. Interesting. That would have been a... Well, it's not that it would have been. That was a story a few months ago, but obviously the Wildcats mm. have been on a tear the last few months. I think I think he will... I don't, we'll see. I think there might be an NBA uh, future 
but I trust he's not thinking that far ahead. I'm trust I'm I trust that he's looking at what's directly in front of him. But it, it just like theoretically, it could be like the little little like pebble in the back of his mind that hey, that's a thing that could be there. I reckon Trevor's in a pretty nice position in his career where he understands that there's going to be jobs anytime he decides he wants to come back to Australia, which uh, clearly, with his record, he's probably earned that. Uh, we didn't talk about the Wildcats, but we're going to see them back in action this weekend. They're definitely a team worth talking about. The Hawks, because we didn't get into it too much, but you mentioned Jacob Jacomas, they've been on a tear uh, of late. And as we mentioned, the only game that they've lost really of of uh, recently was against the Tassie Jack Jumpers, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, which is typical of the NBL at 24. They have only played 16 games. I know I mentioned that a little bit earlier. Do you know if there is any explanation as to why this Illawarra Hawks team only played three games in the month of November and went from November 3 to December 8 without a home game? Like uh, I remember at the time thinking it was absurd, but it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, the one thing I would say, if you're the Illawarra Hawks, based on when the coaching change happened and now you bring in Justin Tatum, you're thanking you're thanking the schedule makers that they didn't schedule more games in November because you mm. probably would have lost and you would have been in a deeper <laughs> hole than you are right now with Justin Tatum. So in the end, this just really strange, bizarre schedule, I think has helped them out. Yeah, I was. I noticed that because I was writing about them last night and I saw that Jacomus's record was two and seven. And then I was like, and then they've only they've gone five and two since. It feels like Justin Tatum's been in this role for a good amount of time these yeah. days. But they're five and two. Um yeah. and so and and maybe that was part of the, the thought process of the decision makers, where it's this is redeemable. There are enough games remaining where we can redeem this if we maybe make the right change here. And again, it this feels like we're at a point where this, we're maybe beyond the fact that this is an extended honeymoon period. This is looking more and more real with every game, um, especially because they're five and two with Justin Tatum at the helm. They're a top three de- defense in that stretch of time. That's clearly what they're doing. They, they play it with their own pace. It's it's a they're a way slower team, but it just seems like Tatum is getting the the best out of his guys, and they're playing winning basketball. Granted, a lot of their wins are against not amazing team yeah. uh, but they've also got some they've also picked up some signature wins that win in sydney on christmas day was really impressive i was in there for that they that was that was a real win for them and so as much as like i don't know if it's just like the previous perception of this team like the reputation that i think we all hold of this team over the past two years that makes us think that they're just not going to be a team that makes it to the play-in um, maybe that's the only thing that's holding us back from saying, hey, they're going to be in, they're in the playing picture. I think they're absolutely in the conversation to make it. Uh, their schedule is tough, so that makes it difficult. And there are other teams that I think are looking really good too. But man, I, with that five or that six, basically everyone from like four to nine, it's still it's still a toss up. I don't know who's making that. There, there aren't many teams I'm like 100% confident are going to make that. So I would have to lean on someone like Liam Santa Maria or Andrew Gaze or someone to that would have the uh, historical knowledge of this off the top of their head in the encyclopedia basketball brains that they have. But I wrote this in headline or storyline this week 
regarding exactly what you're talking about, the the schedule for the Hawks. So uh, people that listen to this podcast would know I've been suggesting that the Hawks cannot make the play-in. Now, they are right there. But I still just look at the schedule and even the last four games. So if they put themselves in a position where they're in the mix, the last four games at New Zealand and then at Sydney, and then you get at uh, get Sydney at home and then Melbourne United to close. So now they yeah. always have a, have a crack against the Kings. So that's a 50-50 based on what we've seen in, in previous years. But Melbourne United there, a trip to New Zealand. If they make it, with those last four games in the regular season and figuring that they're in the mix, so they might need to go three and one in that four game stretch. And they changed coach mid season and they were dead last and they looked awful on both ends of the floor. They couldn't really stay healthy either. I wonder where someone like Liam or Gazy would put this in terms of turnarounds. If they end up making a semifinal series or something like that, because it's a little bit early to go with it right now. But the turnaround is, it's crazy. And they've been able to win close games. The defense all of a sudden is engaged. The players care. They're playing for Justin Tatum. It's clear. Uh, I wouldn't have picked it. And I don't think anyone should have picked it because this type of turnaround mid-season, we don't see a lot in the NBL. We've seen other teams change coach, whether it's Adelaide. They're still no good. We saw last year with Brisbane. They battled after they changed coaches multiple times throughout the season. It's not often that you get this type of buy-in with a new group, the imports, all the new pieces that NBL rosters always have. So, especially because it's it's like 20 months of being an, That's like true. a dumpster fire. It's not just team. this year, yeah. And so just to flip, basically to like turn on a dime and just be a winning franchise all of a sudden is crazy. And, and again, I don't, I don't, in my mind, it just can't all be Tatum. But like, is it? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Um, you speak about the schedule, like, like those those last four games. So I messed it up, by the way. Like, I'm sorry. I'll just jump in. I'll correct my own uh, error here. So they have a trip to New Zealand, then they they play yeah. at Sydney Kings, and then rather than a second game against the Kings, they actually uh, host the Perth Wildcats. So it doesn't get any easier. But one game against the Wildcats, United okay. Kings, and Breakers, not two against the Kings. That's my bad. There. And then is that game against Melbourne in Melbourne or not? In Melbourne, they closed the season Feb 17. Well, actually, probably Jeez. Feb 18. I'm looking at a US calendar. <laughs> Come on, Kang. Um, okay, so, like, if I was picking today, you would bet on the Hawks losing all four of those games. Right. Not because the Hawks are bad, because presumably New Zealand will continue trending up. Maybe the same with Sydney. Perth is looking good. Melbourne's the best team in the league. So, you're probably betting on them not winning those. If they do somehow come out of that four-game stretch, with a, damn, if it's a positive record, cool. But if they come out of that two and two and then make the play-in, I mean, is it, are, we at a, is that a, are they at a point where they then just become a contender? Do you then, if, if they do that, if they can compete with that caliber of team, because these are four teams, I think these are the four best teams in the league. I know you probably don't agree because Tasmania is somewhere in there, but yeah, I think I think these are the four best teams. And so, if you can compete with them and potentially beat a few of them, then Dan, you might be among that group. You might be that good. Uh, I don't think they do have like the depth to compete with them, or and I think that 
top end talent is as good as these guys, but man, if you do it, then you're you're among them. I it, that would separate them from the other teams that are hovering in the play and ringing the play and ringing the play and ringing the play and Bernardo Cans or a, these sort of teams that are just there. And if they make it, if they make the play in, or even if they make the the four after the play in, I don't really see them as title contenders. I just think they're like fine teams. If Illawarra does this, then I think that might be enough to elevate them. The end of their season, they they would be one of the best teams over the part over the last twenty games of the season if they do this. Honestly. I don't know who the teams are going to be. If I had to guess right now, I would say Melbourne, Tassie, of course, Sydney, and I don't know who the fourth team would be. Maybe New Zealand? But what I would say is the you team... Perth is just going to fall off the map? No, sorry, Perth. Exactly right. Yeah, Perth are in there. Sorry. That's a, that's a thank you. That is a almost a poor error. So yeah, Perth... Perth. But, then, but then New Zealand, like New Zealand's... Really damn! I think New Zealand's like a top three team right now. Like, that's right. This that is, would that would just be weird. that would just be my my guess as of today, the first of January, twenty twenty four. Perth, Tassie, <laughs> Sydney, and Melbourne. Uh, but I do think that you know Melbourne United would feel confident, and they should be an, an absolute favourite in any series that they're in in the first round, no question. Mm. And then whoever's in the other semifinal series. It's going to be a 50-50. And then once you get yeah. to the grand final series, you, you'll be hoping for an upset based on what we've seen so far this season. But yeah, if you you really probably just want to make sure that you're in the 2-3. You know, don't go in the 4. You don't want to have to go through Melbourne. And once you get to a grand final series, you'll give yourself a chance. But uh, same as what we've been saying for the last few weeks, I don't feel all that confident right now about any other team not named Melbourne. Yeah, I agree. I agree that Melbourne is the one team that is still the favorite going into every single matchup, whereas I don't think I could say that about any other team. Melbourne um, probably doesn't want Perth in fourth, by the way. <laughs> they, would, they probably don't want Perth. They would prefer I not want, to. I want that. Yeah, I'd too. love that. Every single matchup that I've been to between those two teams has been so enjoyable to watch. Um, man, I, I, Melbourne doesn't want Cairns in fourth. If Cairns somehow sneaks into the play, then ends up in that fourth seed, that's that's a weird matchup too. In the same way that Cairns was a weird matchup for Sydney in last year's playoffs, just because yeah. they match up really uniquely against them. So like that's intriguing too. We're going to go also, through a whole season where only one team beats Melbourne United twice and they didn't even make the play in tournament, aren't we? That's, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. That's, probably, that's absolutely what's going to happen. Um, but honestly, like there's just no team. I don't want to play any of these teams. If I'm Melbourne, I don't play New Zealand either. Just, like New Zealand's yeah. trending in like a good place. Up, I, yeah, I mean, or just just because of the bigs, sure. But yeah, I don't. This this thing going down to the wire is hilarious. Like you still have Brisbane is in ninth place on a eight and eleven record, and they they're still in the hunt. They still think that they they can make the six. I think it's a a long road ahead for them. That's that's a really tough stretch to somehow get back into the six. But man, this thing is this thing's going down to the wire. I'm still I'm still pretty adamant that yeah, any team down to the ninth ninth place team can still make it. And we've got like ten games to go for each team. Just yeah, around around ten games to go, that's about right. So I do think that we are approaching the time by next Tuesday when we reconvene after another weekend of NBL, we might just be getting to the period of time 
where you just start to have your hand hovering over the panic button. So I think next week is going to be a really interesting podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Turn the notifications on and you'll know every single time we drop a podcast because sometimes we have special interviews as well. So make sure you are locked into the feed so you know everything that's coming on. Uh, your device, that should be locked onto ESPN.com.au. Headline or storyline early in the week. Olg's notebook a little bit later in the week and everything in between. And as for the TV, the NBL, you know it's on ESPN. This week, the jump leading into Melbourne and Sydney. It's going to be a great Thursday night of hoops on ESPN. Olga Knowledge, this was a really strong start to the year from you. Uh, what, what a pleasure. Thank I spent you. my New Year's Day evening with you. Thank you, Kane. And and for all the people watching the TV, nothing but net. Kane's on that, what, twice a week? Well, this week we're bumping it up. Three episodes of nothing but net a week. So Great. apologies to those who are just starting to get a little bit sick of me noggin, but we're ramping it up. <laughs> we're ramping it up. <laughs> I'm getting sick of it. Um, oh, we all are. We all are. <laughs> no, tune into everything with... We're, we're having fun. 2024, it's going to be the best year yet. Certainly is. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you tuning in today. And that was a incredibly fun weekend of NBL. It starts again in a couple of days' time. But for this podcast, ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour, we'll speak to you next week.